0: This is episode 29 of the Magic Detective Podcast. On this episode, I talk about the life of the great Raymond. That and more on this episode of the Magic Detective Podcast. Welcome to the magic detective podcast i'm your host dean carnegie i am the magic detective and this is episode 29 yay uh before we begin the podcast today uh i'd like to start with something a little topical a bit of news or something related to magic history and today i'd like to start off with a big hats off to william Rauscher. In an earlier podcast, I kind of uh, made a joke out of the fact that there were like all these magic history books. And every time you turned around, uh, a magic history book was written by William Rauscher. And um, I I thought it was kind of funny. But at the same time, it's mind-boggling to think about the amount of history he's uncovered and shared with the magic community. I am in awe of of his writing skills, his memory, his research skills. In fact, the main source of information for today's podcast is one of my favorite books, The Great Raymond, written by Bill and published in 1996. It's both a beautiful book to look at, and it's full of incredibly rich content. And it's obviously long out of print, but you really should have this book in your library. And I see it come up for sale from time to time, so if you can find it, Get it. I highly recommend it. Again, hats off to William Rauscher for your many contributions to Magic History. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Also, a quick mention that the next Potter & Potter auction is August 17th, 2019. And this is their summer online-only auction. So uh, if you'd like to participate in that, go to potterauctions.com to find out more. Next up, hey, here's some news. Another Magic Detective History Contest. Are you ready? You should write this down. The question is, what is the real name, not the stage name, what's the real name of Maurice Raymond's second wife? Send your answers to info at carnegiemagic.com. Put Magic Detective Contest in the subject box and include your name in the email as well. I will draw a name from among the various uh, correct entries and notify you at the end of the month. This contest will run till the end of August. So there you go. And now let's get into today's feature. He was born Morris Raymond Saunders in Akron, Ohio, May 30th, 1877. He would claim his name as Maurice F. Saunders in his earlier years, and then, once he became the great Raymond, his name became Maurice Francois Raymond. His uncle Addison was a doctor who quit medicine to become a magician. Addison the Wizard began his first professional tour in 1886, and along with him was a new assistant, an apprentice, nine-year-old Raymond. During the tour with his uncle They both took time out to see another magician named Alexander Herman, Herman the Great. Now Here was young Raymond working in a magic show with his uncle, but it was Herman the Great that inspired him to become a professional magician. According to the book, The Great Raymond by William Rauscher, the following summer, Raymond joined the circus while his uncle retired from magic to open a photography studio. His uncle's change in profession would be Raymond's gain, as he would be given all of his uncle's magic equipment. Raymond claimed that as a teenager on a trip to England, he had the good fortune to give a command performance before Queen Victoria. He made this claim in numerous newspaper interviews, and in later years he would perform before many uh, heads of state and royalty And these events can be verified. However, I'm a little skeptical about the Queen Victoria claim. Um, He doesn't really promote it in any of his posters, but he does promote a lot of the other heads of state and royalty performances. So it seems, I don't know, that Queen Victoria one I'm, I'm skeptical about. In 1895, Maurice Raymond does appear in the pages of Mahatma magazine, 1895. In fact, it says that Maurice Raymond is preparing an all-new juggling act. Well, that's interesting. In 1898, at the age of 21, Raymond was booked for his first world tour. According to the book, The Great Raymond, he toured Hong Kong, Calcutta, Bombay, Ceylon, and then completed the tour in South America. Raymond's earlier shows included stage magic, escape artistry, and hypnotism. His escapes were standard fare for the day, handcuffs, ropes, jail cells. By all accounts, he was a fine escape artist. Audiences enjoyed his escapes. Well, except for one guy, Houdini. In 1906, Houdini got wind of Raymond, and he likely knew of him before this as well. But in 1906, Houdini was publishing the Conjurer's Monthly Magazine, and he had an opportunity to go after Raymond, which he did. Here's a few examples. Raymond, the handcuffed mystic, some time ago played at Luna Park, Pittsburgh, and made good, but he should make a reputation on his own merits and leave the others alone. Can't they convince the public that they are good without dragging in the name of a performer that has had to work hard to occupy the position he holds? We all have to start, but let's do it on our own individual merits. The next piece to appear in the Conjurers Monthly magazine had me curious. In fact, I was not going to post this unless I found some information to back up the claim, because I wasn't sure if the story was even true. But I found several newspaper articles to back up that the event really took place. So here are some headlines. From the Newcastle Herald, January 19, 1907, the headline appears, Handcuffed King is Nearly Smothered taken out-of-box unconscious in Rochester Theatre last night. From the Puxitani News, January 23, 1907, we have this headline, Magician Beaten at Last. The Jeffersonian Democrat newspaper, January 24, 1907, has this headline, Caught at Last. The Daily Courier newspaper, January 19, 1907, Magic failed. Raymond, handcuffed king, almost suffocated in box. He was nailed in at Rochester, PA. The write-up in the Conjurer's Monthly magazine came from the Gazette Times of Pittsburgh. It reads... This will be the last box I ever get out of in Rochester, declared Raymond the handcuff King at the theater here tonight before he entered a strong box, which had, been, had to be broken open by stage attendants almost an hour later when Raymond's apparently dead body was carried from the stage. Raymond appeared here six weeks ago and drew such crowds by his magic and bursting of handcuffs and boxes that he duplicated his performance this week. At the magician's request last night, six well-known citizens mounted the stage and constructed a box from planks two inches thick using heavy spikes. Raymond was then manacled and tied with heavy ropes, as in previous exhibitions, and placed in the box, which was nailed up. Don't be stingy with the nails, shouted Raymond from the enclosure. His advice was taken. For twenty minutes there was absolute silence in the auditorium, Then the nervous strain of the audience increased until finally there were exclamations of terror. It was evident that Raymond had at last been beaten and the box had to be torn open. The handcuffed king, with rope and manacles intact, was found unconscious. Women fainted and shrieked. Raymond's wife, who'd been standing in the wings, fell in a swoon. The magician was taken to the hospital, where he was later revived. Had he been left in the box five minutes longer, it is said he would have smothered to death. One newspaper account said that Raymond would attempt the box escape one more time to try and redeem himself. However, I couldn't find an article that covered this so-called second attempt. His statement that this would be the last box I ever get out of in Rochester would be a little bit misleading at best. He would continue to do the box escape during his tour, just not in Rochester. In fact, the following week, he was in Vermont presenting the packing box escape. Thankfully for Raymond, he did not live in the age of the internet because the news of his failure ended pretty quickly and was never brought up again in the papers. Another short piece from The Conjurer's Monthly Magazine said that Raymond was in Havana doing a show and was challenged with a pair of handcuffs that he refused. This caused him a lot of negative press. Then there's this piece in the April 1908 issue of The Conjurer's Monthly Magazine. The great Raymond is still playing in the West Indies, but most of the company with which he toured South America have returned to the States. They are a very much dissatisfied band of players and declare that after seeking other redress for certain impositions put upon them by Raymond, they hauled him into court in Trinidad, but that before a hearing could be had on their complaints, the illusionists sailed to one of the nearby islands under another jurisdiction. One of the acts is declared to have been sent home by the American Council. A member of the troupe declared that out of five months' tour, they worked only nine weeks and were not paid for the time where they were laid off, although their contracts read that they were to be paid weekly. Raymond's system, they say, was to lay off several days after the arrival in each town while the show was being lavishly billed. One, two, or three performances would then be given, and then a jump made to another stand where the same routine would be followed. The players declare that they were paid only for these performances. From Caracas to Trinidad, they say they played only nine shows out of five weeks. A member of the company estimated that Raymond was $17,000 ahead on the tour. Now, I share these things with you not to show you how bad Raymond was. On the contrary, I just want to establish this relationship or lack thereof between Houdini and Raymond because later I've got some stories that are, well, they're even more intense. With the exception of this escape mishap in January of 1907, Raymond appears more than capable. As a performer, he was in exceptionally good shape physically, and in some of his photos and posters, uh, he, well, he's got really kind of a beefcake imagery going on. Uh, researching through a number of magazines, I came across this unique title for Raymond The Mark Twain of Magic. Well, that's a curious thing to write about a person, and I wondered how he picked up this moniker and from whom. Well, from the book The Master Magicians by Walter Gibson. I found the answer. It turns out that Raymond met Mark Twain on board a ship, and Raymond introduced himself, and he and Mark Twain seemed to hit it off. In fact, Mark Twain suggested that the young Raymond allow him to introduce uh, Raymond before a show the next night. Now, from the book, it reads, The ship's passengers were most fortunate, Mark Twain said, to have with them that evening the great Raymond, a true master of mystery, and more. He had remarkable qualities, which Mark Twain was sure the company would soon discern, and he went on to describe Raymond as handsome, clever, and gifted with a wonderful personality. They would find that every word that Raymond uttered literally sparkled with humor and wit. There Mark Twain paused while Raymond, overwhelmed by the introduction, swelled with pride, and then, in short, summed up Mark Twain, He is the Mark Twain of magic and at that point the audience lost it and the laughter was greater than anything Raymond had ever experienced and strangely enough Raymond's jokes during his show got bigger laughs than he was well than he was ever used to so from that night on Raymond would work on adding funny lines into his show ala Mark Twain how cool is that you get this moniker given to you by the guy himself that is that's just amazing Here's a quote from the Sphinx magazine, May May 1910. He is a marvel. I missed seeing his new act, which he put on since I left, but anything in his hands is a big success. His performance is an object lesson to the extent that the thought comes home to one forcibly... It's not what you do, but how well you do it that makes for success. Raymond's style is distinctly his own. His methods are his own, and his address and his appearance are captivating. This original genius is topping the bills everywhere he plays and is in tremendous demand. The night I saw him, the applause was so terrific that the next act couldn't go on until Raymond finally satisfied them with a clever and witty speech. There's an interesting story that David Bamberg tells in his book, Illusion Show, and I've also found this in other texts as well. Uh, When Raymond first went to England to tour, he met up with Will Goldston, seeking some advice. The two talked cordially, but later Goldston was almost beside himself because he couldn't understand how anyone with half a brain in their head expected to present old magic, like the egg bag, the sub-trunk, the Keller rope tie. Oh, and do all of these things for top dollar and make a splash in London. He must be a fool. Well, to Goldston's surprise and many other people's, the reviews of Raymond's show were great. So he took old material and, by infusing his own personality, made the routines into real treasures. A lesson there for all working performers. Here's how P.T. Selbit described it in his periodical The Wizard in February 1910. An occasional contributor complains that Raymond, in his successful show, does nothing new. We are invited to table his performance, The Survival of the Oldest. Possibly uh, this would but amuse Mr. Raymond. Certainly it would not hurt him. Uh, It might be a little bit out of place, however, to remind our contributor that the revival of the oldest is open to all. Most of us knew all the material that Raymond used years before he even came to this country, and we can only blame ourselves if we didn't think to use it to make money out of. There are plenty more ideas out there as old as the hills that are bound to come to life again. The job is to be the first one to get them. From a 1913 issue of the Magical World magazine, we find out that on October 10, 1910, Raymond's wife, Martha Saunders, left him while in Genoa, Italy. In 1913, while back in the U.S., Raymond was granted a divorce by the Superior Court of Chicago. The only issue is Raymond was never married to anyone named Martha. His first wife's name was Luella Cross, and she did eventually leave him in 1912 and married Henry Houston, another former member of the great Raymond's show. By the way, the reason for the divorce, it seems that Maurice Raymond couldn't keep his hands off the other showgirls in the show. The next story comes from the pages of... Illusion Show by David Bamberg. It's an amazing story. And the back story of this is, as a kid, David Bamberg would stay over at uh, Harry and Bess Houdini's house. And one day, young David accidentally discovered the secret of the East Indian Needle Trick. Now, he kept the secret to himself. And he didn't divulge it to anyone. Well, fast forward now a few years, and David's now living in London, studying. And he's invited to a meeting of Will Goldston's Magic Club. Goldston. Even asks David if he'd be willing to perform something at the meeting, and David agrees. Although, thinking about it later, he realizes that, well, maybe he agreed too quickly uh, because he was at his wit's end to try to come up with something that might entertain this group of professional magicians. And then it dawns on him, oh, hey, I could do the needle trick. Perfect. That's something they will love. So, the night of the meeting, David is all prepared, and the various magicians are entering the room, and in walks none other than Harry Houdini, who sees David and comes over and greets him with a big hug. And David is mortified. Now, he can't do the needle trick. and How is he going to get out of this predicament? Maybe feigning a sudden illness, perhaps. As he's uh, you know, trying to figure out this dilemma, he hears a ruckus in the back of the room, and apparently Maurice Raymond is trying to come into the room, and Houdini won't let him. According to Bamberg, the two get into a momentary fistfight until Will Goldston and others rush in and break the two apart. Thanks to this sudden bit of drama, everyone forgets about David Bamberg's coming performance, and for him at least, the day was saved. There are uh, a couple of funny stories from the book of Ledger Domain and Diverse Juggling Knacks by John Braun and Ken Klosterman. The first story is uh, just kind of a bit of a presentational tip from uh, a trick that Raymond did. While in South America, he was performing at a theater, and Raymond went into the audience and borrowed a parasol from a woman in the audience. And then he also went about borrowing several handkerchiefs or scarves from a number of women. He wrapped up the parasol in paper and placed the scarves in a bag, and a moment later, the covering from the parasol was now found in the bag, and the borrowed handkerchiefs were now found on the ribs of the parasol, the framework on the parasol. This, of course, you'll recognize as the mutilated parasol, but I love Raymond's twist of apparently using borrowed objects. That's genius. Next is a story that no doubt it was inspired by Alexander Herman, his idol. The event took place in British Guyana, and one day while strolling through town, Raymond happened upon a woman selling fruit from a cart. He walked up to her and he purchased an orange, When then he took out a knife and he cut the orange open to find a gold coin inside. He was surprised, but not as surprised as the woman selling the fruit. So he purchased a second orange, and again there was another gold coin. And now he offered to buy the entire cart of oranges, and the woman refused. So Raymond went on his way. And as you might imagine, the woman began cutting up all the fruit in her cart, only to find no coins. She ruined all of her fruit, and she was so mad she called the police. Raymond was later hauled into court, and some sort of settlement took place, but Raymond got what he wanted, lots of publicity, and sold out audiences at the theater. Now, from the book Sensational Tales of Mystery Men by Will Goldston, we find another story of Houdini and Raymond that takes place in 1920. The Magicians Club of London, of which Houdini had been president since its start, wanted to give their illustrious president an award. Will Goldston wanted to find a professional magician who could host the evening's activities and present the award, and he chose the Great Raymond. Well, this did not set well with Houdini at all. Uh, It took quite a bit of convincing for Houdini to agree to the event, but Even after he agreed, things got even weirder. Uh, These little brochures were printed for all the attendees. And when Houdini saw these, he blew his stack. Because among the things that were listed on the card, it said the Great Raymond. And (laughs) bold letters, the Great Raymond. Houdini says, "Uh, you can't put that on there. Raymond was not great. (laughs) So he suggested that it be changed to Maurice Raymond. Goldston, he didn't see the big deal. After all, the great Raymond was only a stage name. And Houdini told Goldston, if the name was not changed, he would not attend the event, and he would go so far as to resign from the presidency. And shockingly, the little pieces of paper were changed to read Maurice Raymond. Now, Raymond's beef with Houdini was because... He thought Houdini had sent his goons to one of his shows and sabotaged an escape by putting birdshot into the keyhole of a pair of handcuffs, thus preventing them from opening and trapping Raymond inside. Houdini's beef with Raymond was the fact that Raymond was doing escapes at all, but he was also doubly annoyed that Raymond would use the title King of Handcuffs, and he was annoyed the fact that Raymond would use Houdini's name in the course of his escapes, claiming his were better than Houdini's. Interestingly, they both presented the subtrunk: Houdini under the title Metamorphosis, Raymond under the title Metempsychosis, And they both used it early on uh, in their vaudeville acts. One other thing about Raymond, though, uh, he had a number of escape posters that were clearly inspired by, if not ripped off from, Houdini. Over the course of his performing career, Raymond had hired a few performers who would later go on to their own fame and fortune. These included Chang in 1906, in 1931, Will Rock, and in 1925-26, David Bamberg, the son of Okito. Now, with David Bamberg, Raymond had notified him that he had set up a tour in South America and invited him to join the show, along with a mechanic who turns out to be the uh, very brilliant Edmund Spreer. Uh, David also brought his wife along. His job would be as chief assistant to Raymond, and he would also perform his shadography act in the show. And thanks to David Bamberg, we get some insight into Raymond's complex character. In the book Illusion Show, Chapter 22, David reveals an incident in a theater where the stage was severely sloped. So much so that one of the illusions wouldn't work because of the angle that it rested. So Raymond told the crew to cut down the legs to even it out. But David, having a good working knowledge of mechanics, suggested it would be better to make a new uh, set of short legs for the back rather than destroy the existing ones. Raymond would not budge and told them to do as they were told. Later on in the tour, in another city, they had to pay a hefty price to have new legs made for the ones that they destroyed. Raymond should have listened. Their tour of South America was filled with trouble and small audiences— at the same time, there were two other performers working throughout South America, and they had a jump on The Raymond Show. These two other performers were both presenting Asian-inspired shows. One was Li Ho Chang, the former assistant to Raymond. The other turned out to be Okido, David's father. In every city The Raymond Show went to, they'd find playbills left over, posters left over, usually from Chang's show. And Chang had performed to sold-out houses— Raymond wasn't even filling the main floor. It was both embarrassing and humiliating for Raymond, and his temper grew bigger and bigger. He soon got into a spat with Edmund Spreer. Raymond was just, frankly, difficult to get along with, period. The show that they were presenting was actually a very strong show, even better than Chang's, to be honest. And I'll explain. It opened with a routine called the Human Wardrobe, which was a cabinet which uh, the entire company appeared, including Raymond. Next was the Mystic Orange Routine, which was a a production of oranges that filled two very large bowls. And then the oranges were tossed out into the audience. Uh, The Vase Mystery was the uh, flags of all nations were produced from a ghost tube and David Bamberg points out that Raymond was the first to present this effect in South America and it later became known as el tubo raymond next was a routine called the dentist which was an electric chair illusion in which Litska vanished in a puff of smoke from a cabinet The dress trunk, the appearance of a girl from a previously shown empty trunk, which was filled with dresses of all nations. A girl appears from the trunk wearing a costume that had been selected by a member of the audience. The egg bag, and David points out Raymond really milked this and made a great showing of it. Card throwing, just like Thurston, Uh, Raymond was doing card throwing in his show. A routine called Divorce, which was the out-of-sight illusion in which Hilda, seated in a chair, hung high in the air within a wooden scaffold, visibly vanished with the chair as her clothes fell to the stage. The second part of the show included A Shower of Silk, which were barehanded silk productions. A routine called Ava, which was the production of a huge golden cage inside an empty cabinet. A routine called the Enchanted Rings, where two borrowed rings were uh, destroyed. The crushed pieces were put into a gun and shot at a bottle. The bottle was then broken open, and inside was a live dove with a ribbon around its neck, and tied on that ribbon were the two restored rings. Next comes metempsychosis, which was the sub as performed by Raymond. Next, we have Psycho, the shadowgraphs, which is, of course, Psycho was uh, a name that David Bamberg had used, so he was doing his shadowgraphy act. And rounding things up was a routine called Spookville. This was the classic spirit cabinet uh, using the tent that they had used in the sub-trunk routine. This was a wonderful comedy routine which often brought down the house. They had a few other alternative routines that they could add or exchange with existing material, but this was the basic show that they carried with them in South America. As would happen, with many assistants, David Bamberg had a falling out with Raymond. I'm guessing that his reason for wanting to leave was similar to the reason others left. David was barely making ends meet with what Raymond was paying. Now, sure, the tour was having a bad run, but Raymond, well, he had enough to stay in first class hotels while the rest of the crew stayed in the crappiest places. David went to Raymond to ask for an advance when Raymond handed him a document filled with figures. At the end of the document, there was the amount of $40 listed, and that he had $40 due to him. But Raymond spoke up and said, "I ah, no, no, this is what you owe me. And then he began to explain all the expenses that David had racked up on the tour. And quite a few of them, if not all of them, were utter nonsense. And David just knew he had to leave the show. But he was told by Raymond that if he left the show, Raymond was going to be holding on to his possessions and his lamp for the shadow act until he got paid. David Bamberg stealthily escaped from the Raymond show, taking his possessions and his lamp in the process. And Raymond called the cops, but they never found David. Later, Hilda and Spreer would also leave the Raymond show. In 1927, Raymond got married again, this time to Litska, who had been working in his show, playing the harp and presenting illusions. He would actually marry her again, At a second ceremony, they remained married until his death. To learn more about Litska Raymond, please listen to podcast number 19. Now, Raymond was a better performer than Li Ho Chang, but he struggled with the language, and his demeanor was as if he was speaking down to his audience, while Chang spoke Spanish fluently. Chang's demeanor was not one of superiority, but one of simpatico. He was the same type of person who could be found in the audience. So even though his magic was sometimes not that great, his likability factor was was very high. Whereas Raymond, well, it was questionable that he had any likability factor while on that particular tour in South America. Again, please don't get the impression that Raymond was a bad performer. Maybe a bad businessman and most certainly a bad boss, uh, but he was very accomplished. One of his signature routines, which was in every show, was his Mystic Oranges effect. And I remember the first time I read about this, it sounded like such an incredible trick that I I frankly wanted to add it to my own show, except I had no idea how it worked. I was just frankly determined to find out how the uh, routine worked. And then I found out uh, David Ben wrote and performed in a show called The Conjurer. And The Oranges was, well, was his opening routine. And I believe he presented the routine just like Raymond, possibly even using Raymond's handling. I contacted Mr. Ben about it, but he kindly declined my request because he wanted to hold on to the orange trick a little bit longer, which is certainly his right. And in the same letter, I had inquired about a different trick, and he was kind enough to give me really great insight into that one, including sending me copies of documents uh, regarding the earlier versions. So if you ever ask me about David Ben, I'm going to give you the the well, just the most complimentary things I can say about the guy. I've never met him in person, but I have the utmost respect for David Ben. I just had to throw that in there because every time I think about the oranges, I think about him. He's just a stand-up uh, stand-up man. I do believe, however, as of this date, I probably have the workings on the orange routine because I am a voracious magic historian and I just couldn't quit. Um, I'm not adding it to my show, however, but um, I did finally get all the work on it. Uh, But Raymond, it would seem, never took it out of his show. It was his baby and it was pure showmanship in his hands. And here's what you basically see. There were two side tables. They had a little cloth uh, draped over them with a bowl sitting on top, and he, and Raymond would go over and pick up the cloth and show it both sides, there's nothing there, he'd pick up the bowl uh, it's a clear glass bowl, he'd uh, hold the uh, cloth over the bowl, and boom, all of a sudden it would be filled with oranges, and he would step over to the other table, do the exact same thing, and then they would toss these real oranges out into the audience and wow, just, uh, I just love that Uh, Raymond would later teach the routine to Will Rock, who was with the Raymond Show for four years. And Will Rock continued to do the orange routine in his show for many years. Another routine that uh, is often singled out by both laymen and magicians alike was his handling of the egg bag. Raymond was a master of this prop. And as David Bamberg once said, Raymond really milked this routine and made a great showing of it. Now, as for his allusions, Raymond would have quite a few over the years. He had the, uh, the girl from light, which we know of as the shadow box. He had a girl without a middle or disembodied princess. He had a Selbit sawing that was built for him by David Bamberg. Uh, Raymond, of course, had the sub-trunk, which he used in his metempsychosis routine, and he made uh, really good use of the uh, modern cabinet. Raymond performed the costume trunk illusion, previously described. Earlier in his career, he had the Noah's Ark illusion in his show, uh, where he could show this large uh, cabinet empty, and then he would produce an unbelievable amount of livestock, and then eventually a person. He had a levitation illusion in the show, and I think he even had flydo in the show as well. Um, he seemed to have a lot of the same props as Charles Carter, and even, uh, even Charles Carter made a note of that. Uh, he had quite a few things that also I can't identify by the photos. Suffice to say, Raymond had a very large show and was capable of delivering an excellent evening of entertainment. He claimed to have toured the globe seven times, though I'm not sure that can be proven. He did clearly travel the globe more than once, but Raymond, like other magicians of the time, was known to stretch the truth a bit. In fact, he has a few claims that despite my best efforts, I can't find if any of these things really happened. For example, he claimed to have been involved in three different train wrecks, two shipwrecks, and was lost at sea for two days. He claimed uh, once that he had almost been stabbed to death. Now, I think all these things are possible, but there just doesn't seem to be any documentation to back up the claims. On September 10, 1945, Raymond presented what would be his final show at Town Hall in New York. He and his wife, Litzka performed some of their most memorable routines, Unlike the Survey and Leroy debacle a few years before, this one turned out to be a huge success. Raymond was still the master magician and still a thrilling entertainer through and through. One thing that was different in this show was Raymond's physical appearance. He had clearly lost a lot of weight. The reality was he was suffering from cancer. and They were living in a tiny tiny apartment in New York, and by all accounts, it was very run-down and decrepit. The glory days were long behind him. They barely survived off the occasional shows that Litska could give playing her harp. Their lives together were a daily struggle. Raymond would end up in the hospital at one point, never to return home. He died on January 27, 1948, at 9.10 a.m. The great Raymond was no more. He had been called complex, arrogant, outspoken, bossy, smug, outgoing, jovial, entertaining, and, very likely, a lot more things that aren't proper to repeat. He was, as his posters revealed, the king of entertainers and the entertainers of kings. But in the end, he was a frail human being, just like the rest of us. And that, my friends, is the life story of Maurice Raymond, the great Raymond. If you enjoyed this podcast, please like the podcast. If you listen on iTunes, please consider giving me a five-star review, and please write something about the podcast as well. There are about a half dozen reviews of the podcast that you can check out for ideas on what you might want to write. And thank you to everyone who has written a review or liked the podcast. I really do appreciate it. I think that's going to do it for this episode of The Magic Detective Podcast. I'm your host, Dean Carnegie. I am The Magic Detective. Thanks for listening. And until next time, have a great week.